No Fox, no Igor, no Heedle, no problem. Rangers are still looking good, 11-2-1. They're still sitting pretty in first place in the Metro, especially with a big game coming up this weekend with the New Jersey Devils. The Rangers look to take that good mojo into Jersey and, you know, atone for some of the misfortunes they had in the playoffs last year. We have a lot to talk about on the podcast this week, including Henrik Lundqvist's Hall of Fame induction, Laffy Taffy coming around finally, Peter Laviolette steering the ship in the right direction, and we'll also be joined by the great Mike Rupp to discuss some all-time memories with the Rangers with Brian Boyle on here. So stay tuned for a jam-packed episode of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. It's starting right now. Welcome back to the podcast. The Rangers are hot still. Not a lot has changed in that department, and we are more than happy to be discussing it here. I'm your host, Andrew Hartz. As always, we are joined by New York Rangers beat writer for the New York Post, Molly Walker, former Ranger, Brian Boyle, and back on the podcast, Larry Brooks. We got two people back from Toronto from, you know, a amazing ceremony. We'll, we'll get into it later, immortalizing the great Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, but plenty of other things to talk about, including the Rangers, again, staying hot and looking like a great team as of right now. But we had some news break yesterday uh, talking about a former Ranger, albeit, you know, he was only Ranger for a few games, uh, 19 last year. But Patrick Kane, Larry had the story last night, early day yesterday on Tuesday that he will not be coming back to the Rangers. We can talk about it now. We can get it out in the open. And like Molly said in our pre-show, we will never discuss it again. So, <laughs> Larry, uh, five goals last year from Kaner, seven assists in 19 games. You said they were never really in position to sign him. And yesterday, the door is finally officially closed on that situation. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was never going to be a Patrick Kane 2 on Broadway. It just wasn't, but there was... All the talk, all the talk, all the talk. He's coming back. He's coming back. It just didn't make sense for the Rangers. I, I don't think it made a lot of sense for Patrick either. I think this was, you know, mutual. But the Rangers have never pursued Patrick Kane this it, season. It just, you know, <laughs> this, this season. Yeah. Asterix, this season. Uh, this season. I don't. I don't. You know, honestly, I'm not sure exactly what to say about it. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be the right fit. They took the risk last year when he was less than 100. percent I don't think. They want to go through, you know, the entire the same thing this year. Isn't that one hundred percent, Patrick Kane? We don't know what he's going to be. They didn't know what he was going to be last year, and I think too, when when you take a look at it now, even you know, just distilling it a little bit, even if the Rangers had some interest in him, at this point, they're going to need to save their cap space for the deadline. You don't know exactly what holes they're going to need to fill. Um, you know, I, I was actually thinking this morning, they may, you know, depending on Philip Heedle, they may be looking for a third line center. They may be looking for a defenseman if, if you know, Ryan Lindgren's down for, for a while. And, and so um, they need to keep their options open. They don't have much cap space. They're not going to have much cap space. They need to keep their options open. I think they need a little bit more size. They need a little bit more youth, not a 35-year-old player who's coming off hip resurfacing surgery. I, I just, you know, it, it never made sense to me. It just never made any sense to me. 
And, you know, ultimately it didn't make sense to the Rangers either. Well, I think that everybody just really wanted to happen again because the first go around wasn't after so much buildup and so much anticipation to get Patrick Kane basically at 50%. I don't even know the percentage that you want to say it, um, but... I feel like people have been talking about Patrick Kane being a star for the Rangers since, you know, since Boyle was still on the team, right? There's a couple ways to look at it, but I think obviously this is the right play because, well, number one, you, you don't necessarily want to be in a, say, a Carolina hurricane situation where you're knocking on the door every year and you don't have that guy that can, you know, score a goal even if you're getting outplayed, right? He can change the game in a shift. And maybe they thought that we're getting that with Kane last year, but he was injured. I thought he battled considering the severity of the injury. Mm-hmm. So there's not no indictment on him. And another thing is, what's the risk and what, what will it set you back, right? So the fact that he's not technically a th- over 35 contract, like if he was older, believe it or not, this would be less risky because you could sign him to 800 plus bonuses and roll him over if you wanted to kick the can down the road. But I don't believe that's the case. I think he would have to sign and he wasn't eligible for those bonuses either. And then, like Larry said, maybe you need size. Like, so that's the risk, right? Do you play the game like we don't want to be Carolina, but then you see what, what worked last year and what works every single year in the playoffs with, with what Vegas did, that size that, you know, the 14 LA Kings team that beat us like that. You have enough offense. You have enough contributors. You have good goaltending. And you're really stingy on the back end. Like maybe you just fill fill that with some depth. A big a big redwood tree playing D. I hear uh, I hear there's a couple available from Calgary. You can go that route, and that would be I would think depending on what you'd have to give up in terms of assets in your future, that would be the way you go. But I I think where they're at right now is a great spot, and it's not a spot like Larry said to pull out of that young player pool or that whatever cap space you have left pool and throw it back at Patrick Kane. And there it is. And that's there's always something sexy about a, a big name like Patrick Kane. And, and I, you know, we, we saw it last year, the deadline and the stars just happened to line up, especially after the Tarasenko trade. But, you know, it just it didn't work out. And, you know, you know, you know Mo- Molly was 100 percent correct. There was so much anticipation. Yeah, there is so much build up to Patrick Kane. And don't forget, so much of it was was centered around his relationship with Artemi Panarin, you know, remarkable chemistry they had when they when when they traded for for Kane and he had his first press conference when he came in in morning skate. He talked immediately about how difficult. Like, don't yeah, like, this is not going to be. <laughs> this is not, you know, we haven't played together for six years. Yeah. Thing, you know, it, it's not going to click automatically, and it just didn't. You know, yeah. it just didn't. And but you know, everyone wanted to make it work. Brian just said it's no indictment of Patrick Kane. Right. Last year, everyone had the best intentions. The Rangers had the best intentions. Patrick had, you know, Kane had the best intentions. He did battle. He had a couple of nights, you know, game two against the Devils. He was, you know, he was inspirational. He had his best game. Everybody was excited. And so, you know, the season ended in such disappointment for everybody. And and now there was this opportunity. Oh, you can bring him back and he'll, he'll be healthy now and, and, it'll, and it'll work. But Molly, yeah, Molly. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know but I, I think uh, I always, the exit, uh, the end of season interviews, I always feel like are super, super telling, you know, with Ryan Strom coming up, shaking every member of the media's hand. He knew that it, that that yeah. was it. But with Patrick Kane 
the Rangers quickly became a they rather than a we. And I think that that was also an indication that that was it. You know, they tried it out, didn't work out, you know, the way that everybody hoped that it did. And that's okay. No indictment on anybody. But I think now we can close that chapter and set it to the side. It was great. Loved covering him. Would really be grateful never to have to field the question about him coming to the Rangers ever. (laughs) All those. What if the surgery works and he's great for another five years? See, that. I'm sure that'll happen. And you're going to get more. Hey, whoa, whoa. What if we try it again next year? (laughs) Probably. Instead of all those. Then then we can just rip Drew for not, you know, for. Well, instead You're of not seeing the obvious, it's right? Like your friends yeah, in, it's yeah. like your friends in high school that keep breaking up and getting back together. Yeah, yeah. Like, happy, like, oh yeah, they were terrible, and then they're back together. You're like, oh, yeah, man, it, right. love you guys. It didn't together. work last time. Oh no, it's great. This time it'll work. <laughs> it's over. We don't have to deal with the Photoshop images of him coming here. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's done. It's done. So there's your Patrick Kane news. Book is closed, but the book is still very much open on this current Ranger team and. I got worried, especially once Fox went down, Hedo went down, Igor. I mean, look, this team is 11-2-1, 23 points. They look great. They do. I mean, uh, some some areas, you know, could use some improvement. But the fact that you had three big pieces, including Igor, who hasn't played uh, since the November 2nd game with the other two guys, they're 3-0-1 since those injuries. So the ship hasn't taken on a lot of water and it hasn't really been affected too much. The injury front, we still have to see, um, you know, heel hasn't started skating yet, um, which again, could change this week. Um, Hopefully we'll see. We're waiting to see the status of Ryan Lindgren. Um, I know the Rangers, if they're skating today, tomorrow at some point, we'll see about that after taking the hit into the boards. But Boyle, let me ask you this. So the, the, the one thing that comes to mind when I'm watching this team right now is that they're still relatively the same team that we had last year, right? And, uh, you know, the big change was Peter Laviolette. Is this what a good manager does when they got off to this great start, but they're still able to keep moving forward? They're not letting too much get them down. Is is, is this what Peter Laviolette brings to this club? One of the big things is that, you know, keeping the club positive despite any sort of animosity, any sort of uh, criticism, any sort of, you know, injuries they may take because that hasn't really affected them too much so far, it seems. Well, Andrew, it's... uh a coach. It's not a clubhouse. It's a locker room. We got to get you off the baseball talk, please. <laughs> it's uh season's over. We're in November now. Baseball's done. Okay. Um, no, it's, it is a, a team that's bought into a system and the system is proving to work to the strengths of the team. And that is why I was excited about Peter Laviolette coming. I was more excited about how he could motivate a club that looked like had full control of the playoff series last year. And when it got hard, it just ended in spectacular fashion, in my opinion. I couldn't believe what I was watching, especially when I thought they grew up a ton the year prior in the playoffs. I thought they had no business getting out of the first round, maybe a little biased, but yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> but honestly, they didn't. If you look at whatever you want to look at, I just, I've been in a lot of series and I was just, when it ended, I couldn't believe what just happened. And then, they got better and they got better and they got better. So when it was going well, it was great. When it got hard the next year, it ended fast. And that was a concern of mine. And so I thought Laviolette was the right guy for that reason. Now the structure and battling through the injuries is another example of why that was the right call. And it is early still. And there are 
a number of teams that are in places that I didn't really think that they would be in in the East. But what he's done with, I mean, his big guys are playing the right way. They've lost a couple big guys and the signings that Drew has done with, with Gustafson and with, um, you know, I don't know about the, the bottom six guys. Maybe you get Blake Wheeler going at some point. It is, it is a big change for him, but he, I think, still is going to prove to be a good signing by the end of this season, uh, hopefully. I, mean, I could be wrong, but I think that was a good play. Um, and Benino as well, but they have enough. I worry about Lindgren and almost like you'd worry about Ryan Callahan when he played. And they only have one speed, and he is uh, obviously not going to put up crazy numbers. He doesn't score many goals, but he is so important to the back end. And I worry about his durability just because of the just the courage that he plays with. But again, it's that system. If 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 it's that easily understood by every player, you have injuries, you can plug guys in and still be really stingy. And then eventually, if you get a power play here or there, or you get a a stretch of five or six minutes where you control the game, you can score one or two goals because that's what they have in terms of elite talent. So I, I love the makings of it from the talent level, the top six, how their D are constructed. Obviously, I love their goaltending. And Lavi's pushing all the right buttons right now. That is, it's a big thing, a different voice, a guy who can make adjustments, a guy who challenges people every day. Uh, he sees the big picture. It's not like, oh, it's going good right now, so I'm going to leave it alone. He's He wants to get better. Yeah, you know, you know what, too? I, I, I think there is a, um, whether they have um, mastered the system, I don't think they have. I think it breaks down a lot. They're, they're still learning it. They're, you know, they're, they're, I think, still doing a lot of thinking rather than, reacting instinctively because they're you know they're trying to be in place but they have embraced it they believe in it they they and and they believe in this coach i think and and what's interesting to me is this is what they asked for and sometimes you know you you know you know the saying you know be careful what you ask for this is what they asked for and this is what they are embracing and that's to that that to me is 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 one of the more interesting aspects they have these veterans They've never won. I mean, and you know, you can mm-hmm. identify, right? Yeah. I mean, Chris Kreider's been here since 2012. Mika's now been here for a while. I don't, you know, these guys now, you know, Adam Fox has been here now for five years. And, you know, they haven't they haven't won. They they took the big step and then they stepped and then they took a step back. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they fell on their faces. And I think they were embarrassed by it last year. I think they were angry last year. And I and I think um they have taken that energy and it's all positive in 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 the room it, you know it's all positive they play hard they uh, of course haven't gone through, you know they've gone through adversity with the injuries but they haven't gone through adversity with losing um they and and one of the interesting parts of the season so far is they you know they haven't played boston they haven't played colorado they but you can only play who you have on the schedule mm-hmm. i think i'm curious i'm i'm really anxious to see them play the teams that are at the top of the league now and see how they match up in November and, and December. Not that, you know, they're going to have the same lineup necessarily in, in March and April, but it's, you know, it's always interesting when, when you're playing quality opponents, but that's what I, that's what I like about them is, is that they have embraced this system. They have embraced this coach. Um, they go out to work hard every day. Well, you talk about better competition coming up. They've got the Devils on Saturday, the Dallas Stars on Monday, the Penguins on Wednesday, the Flyers on Friday. Yeah, Flyers on Friday, and then the Bruins next Saturday. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, especially 
everybody, the Rangers collectively holding their breath to see if Ryan Lingering comes out, participate in practice today on Wednesday. And I think that that's going to obviously set them up, you know, for this upcoming stretch. This is probably one of the tougher stretches that they've had so far in the season. So like Larry said, it'll be really interesting to see how they stack up against some of these teams. But, you know, if we recap on the injuries, Philip Heedle was eligible to return to the lineup on Sunday against the Blue Jackets, and he hasn't even seen the ice yet. That's pretty concerning. Adam Fox isn't eligible to return until at least November 29th against Detroit. Lindgren, the hit looked bad. I'm not going to lie. It looked really bad. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he missed some time. He went headfirst into the boards. I don't want to speculate, but I, it just, from where I was sitting, it didn't look good. But that being said, I've seen him probably take worse hits and get up and finish I mean, I, the game. I, <laughs> I hit that guy through the earth's crust once and he left and came back three minutes later. I'm like, yeah. how is he back in the game? <laughs> Yeah, he does that. He does that. So I think this is going to be every season you have your big tests that come up. I think this is probably going to be the biggest stretch of a test that they have so far this season. But it looks like Igor Shosturkin should be back on Saturday against the Devils, I think. It sounds like, you know, he's been practicing with Mm -hmm. no restrictions lately. um, And they have this weird little five-day break in game action that I think that he should be good to go afterward. Jonathan Quick was just a brief one-game miss, so that was a good thing. It was just minor. But, hey, we got to talk about Louis Domingue mm. stepping up <laughs> to the plate. He he did really well. He he looked pretty good. Um, and I, I tip my cap to Chris Jury. Not a lot of NHL teams have third-string goaltenders with that kind of uh, NHL experience. So to have that is uh, pretty... <laughs> pretty comforting for the Rangers I would imagine that's going to happen more you've seen it it's that's the trend that goalie depth no one's playing you know Hank Lundquist Marty Berdor mm-hmm. amount of games anymore no. uh, yeah. you know what this five day thing is like when was the last game they lost in regulation how long ago was that in regulation Three weeks? it was the Nashville game October 19th so a month ago almost yeah right. and then you have a five-day break you don't want to have a five-day break no. if you're in no. that room so no. Here we go. Well, it's, except the five day break gives gives right. the injured players, you yep. know, right? Some, but if I'm Lavi, I don't want it. Like, <laughs> let's keep going because those injured players. I mean, we're not chasing stats here; we're chasing wins. And I can't wait to see the when it the schedule kind of gets a little bit harder because even don't even look at the standings. Like the Jersey game will be will be awesome because they're trying to find exactly what they are. Devils, Rangers, that's awesome. Uh, the Bruins game. That's a measuring stick. You want to be the best. So you want to see how you're measuring up. And you almost, I mean, you don't want to lose. Obviously, you never want to lose. You want to see where you could be exposed mm-hmm. as a player, as a coach, as a manager. Where are we thin against, you know, who we're really worried about? Obviously, every game's important because two points now are the same as they are in March and April. But mm-hmm. it's time to see exactly what they have. But man, man October 19th. That's quite the run. And we, we had a coaching change. Larry, you remember? And we had kind of a funky schedule to start, but we started the year like three and six when AV came in. And we went to the oh, yeah. 
it was it was a disastrous first three weeks. I mean, it wasn't it was, good. It was it was unbelievable. I, I was, Hurdle scored four on us. We didn't know who he was. Well, I I remember. Well, Heedle. I mean, I mean uh, Hurdle. Uh, Hurdle, yeah. With the with the uh, goal between the legs goal against Biron when nobody was doing that before. Remember, and yeah. the San Jose coach and I don't remember who it was back at the time. You know, it was, was a nine game. Might have been Pete. No, was he Jersey? No, I think he was um, Pete. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. It was. I don't think it was DeBoer. But it, no. but um, so you know, San Jose is up like nine to two and eight minutes into the third or something, and and Hurdle has scored four goals. I think he got one shift the rest of the game because the, the coach kept him on bench because he didn't like what he did. You know, showing up. Um, Biron, Biron, I, you know, of course, retired like four days later. But, <laughs> he had one more. But then, one, what, what I remember, one. then you go from from San Jose to Anaheim. That was not good. You're down four nothing in the first. Yeah, there, there was some, there were some plays that you know, I think guys ran into each other. Hank's playing, you know, four nothing after the first, six nothing after the second. Final is six nothing. Lucy. Yeah, we, we tightened up in the third there. <laughs> so we're waiting outside the locker room to go in and kept out there for a really long time, which was unusual at the time. Come back in, there's no Hank, who and, and Hank was always there. You know, if he played if he played 950 games in his NHL career, he was there 948 times. You know, walk in, there's no Hank, there's no Hank. We're asked then to kind of walk out again. And then we just hear this screaming. In uh, Swedish. In Swedish. <laughs> screaming at, at Ulf Samuelson, who's the assistant coach. And the two oh. of them are you can hear these, this is loud. And, you know, and then finally, like, you know, they open the room again, walk in, and there's Hank, you know, with, you know <laughs> sitting in his stall and slumping. And I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it was, um, it was, it was quite a start. You know what, too? I mean, you guys really didn't, didn't pick up until like almost February. Or March. I mean, trade it for December, Marty, right? Trade it for Marty Louis because you needed to make the playoffs because yeah, you needed well, a goal scorer. That was December, that was the idea. You needed we were, a goal scorer. We were five hundred, right? We were five hundred. We broke it down like in segments. I think it was five or ten game segments. We were in Tampa. I'll never forget it. We were starting to kind of. It wasn't one step forward, two steps back anymore. But we were going up and down, and it wasn't. We were starting to come, but it was hard. We didn't get to have a real training camp because we were renovating the garden. And we had a new coach trying to put a whole new system in. And then when it worked, though, we traded for the goal scorer who didn't score any goals. And it was hard for him because he's he was such a humble guy. He didn't want to do his own thing. He was at one place for so long in Tampa. He came to us and he wasn't. I'm like, do you want to sit here on the plane? He goes, no, no, you guys, I don't want to mess anything up. And I'm Aww. like, Martin, that's you're so on famer. brand. Yeah, I'm that's like, so on brand. I'm a, I'm a scrub. Like, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, sit down. He wouldn't. And then he'd come and beat us all at cards and he was great anyways the playoffs we needed him but yeah it, it's not always this seamless so i'm typical you know new york fandom it's like well why why is it going so well what's going on here right, something's right. got to be wrong <laughs> but you Enjoy know what? It. yeah that's exactly it and there's going to come a point where i'm sure ranger fans are going to turn uh on peter laviolette but for now enjoy the ride that's 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 the way i look at it at least and and we'll see where things go before we get to rupper real quickly uh just because larry he's got to run here but larry i want to get your take on the hall of fame ceremony from henrik lundquist uh you were up in toronto your thoughts obviously you gave him the king moniker and i cannot suggest enough everyone who's listening or watching this podcast to read molly's article to read larry's article 
just the perfect summarization of the career of Henry Lundquist. Um, and Larry, you spent a lot of time with him. You watched his entire career pretty much. Um, what do you think about the King taking his rightful place on the throne in the Hall of Fame? It, it was a, a fitting climax, uh, you know, to a um, distinguished career. He, you know, he, he's a distinguished individual. He's a hockey player, but he's a distinguished individual. And it was, you know, he was very, I mean, he's always carried himself with class. It was very classy. Uh, his his speech was hit the right notes. Um, his recognition of Benoit Lair, I, I think, was was right on point. You know, he had a weekend and experience he'll never forget. And and um, I think it it just you know it, it caps a career one one of the great careers in Rangers history. And and honestly, one of the most respected professional athletes who played in New York in a very very long time. He had a great great. New York career. He was the face of a franchise for 15 years. Doesn't that does just doesn't happen? Um, not only you know in hockey, you know who Derek Jeter. You know these yeah are, you know, the I names that he's with. You know we're, you know we're talking about like Eli Manning or you know you know people who become um, icons, and that's who Hank is. He's he's an icon who also cares about the community. He care, you know he he cares about people. He, you know, it, it is such a cliche. Oh, he's a better person than he is hockey player. I don't know. You know, he was a great hockey player, um, a great goaltender, but um, he is a charitable individual. He has a lot of room in his heart. Um, he and his, his wife have, have, have a foundation. Um, he's a ground. He's grounded, you know, as, as much of a celebrity as he, as he is. He's grounded. You know, he's he's like, I, I, you know, again, I covered him for 15 years from his you know, beginning to end. I talked to him almost every day. We, you know, we talked almost every day. It, it was such a pleasure for me to have that pipeline, to, you know, to have those conversations, to have that relationship with him. And, you know, I, I uh, you know, there haven't been very many. Um, there haven't very been very many who have come along like Hank. One thing I wanted to say from Larry's article that I loved, and again, just a testament that people have to read it. Larry had this one line in there that, that kind of gave me chills. It said, the cup should have been overflowing, not empty. And that's just the perfect summarization for someone like Henrik Lundqvist, someone that you wanted to see. But Larry, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. As always, we'll see you next week. And because it is Jersey Devils and Rangers week, we got on a former Jersey Devil, along with Brian Boyle, I guess, and Mike Rupp, former Ranger. NHL Network partner. He's coming up next on the podcast. Stay tuned. Here's Rupp with a shot. He scores. What an answer from the New York Rangers as Rupp salutes the bench in the crowd and the Rangers bounce back. Oh. Brandon Prust. Here's Mike Rupp. Takes the shot. Scores. Mike Rupp erupts again. And no salute. It's 2-2. Welcome back to the podcast. Like I said, Jersey Devils Week. It's appropriate that we have someone on here from the NHL Network who does some stuff with Brian Boyle on there. They'll actually be on the, the show later today. Uh, so tune in. It's former Ranger, played in 68 games with the Rangers, but he played in 289 with the Devils. We're not going to hold him to that. Stanley Cup champion. He scored two of my favorite goals in one of my favorite games ever, the 2012 Winter Classic. It's Mike Rupp. Rupper, welcome back to the podcast. Good to see you. I'm glad to be back on with you guys. And uh, yeah, it's been a little while, but uh, always great popping on with you guys. It's a good time to be a Ranger fan. 
Fatwick just threw out, it's it's very, very happy. We're, we're enjoying La Violette. We're enjoying the Hall of Fame. You played with Hank, and I, I brought up the uh, the Winter Classic. One of my favorite memories was Hank stopping that penalty shot, you know, to, to keep the game where it was. What are your thoughts on Henrik Lundqvist? What are your thoughts on his Hall of Fame ceremony? You know, it, 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 it felt like a, a good capitalization on the career that was Henrik Lundqvist as a hockey player. Yeah, it absolutely was. And uh, provided one of the best highlights of the night was uh, his daughter. We all seen that video just kind of when Hank's talking about the support of his family. She's like, us? Yes, we know this. Uh, but it was great the way she kind of played that off. But it was um, it was cool seeing uh, – I like seeing some of these guys because we deem these people that get into the Hall of Fame as almost being superheroes, right? And to see them kind of be vulnerable in some different ways – you can say that with Hank. You can say that with with Ken Hitchcock's speech too. Like this guy was a guy that was hard on everybody, and a lot of times players didn't like him. And he kind of took it as, "Hey, you know what?" and and kind of just brought the real human side to it. So I thought it was really cool. And then Hanky also is being he's always so smooth and everything he does. We always joke around about it, but just to hear him kind of sound like a just a little kid, right? Enjoying the game of hockey back to the the roots of it all. And uh, I thought it was awesome. I know Brian's played a, a ton with them. Um, I was fortunate enough to play with him. I was, was really fortunate, fortunate in my career to play with Marty Berdour, Hank, and Flower. I mean, you're talking three of the top five goalies of all time, I think. Just seeing how different each of them were and then also how similar they were in a lot of different ways. So uh, ultimate competitor, I always say it and I'll say it till – the day I leave this earth, like uh, you see the the three piece suits, you see the smile, you see all those things. He would rip your face off to win a game. <laughs> like, and I mean that in the like, he is, he is vicious. And I thought that was incredible about him. Do you have a favorite Lundquist memory? I don't know if it was necessarily a, a, a favorite memory, but I remember different teams I've gone to just seeing how stars are in, in the landscape of the locker room. Like I'll use a quick example. When I went to Pittsburgh before I came to New York, I always played against Crosby. I knew playing against Sid. I didn't know him, but I went there and Billy Guerin was in the room there. That's right after they won the cup in 09. And Billy was just giving it to Sid in the locker room, like nonstop, like carving them, making like ripping on them in, in, in a, in a playful way. Right. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And Sid loved it. Sid ate it up. He wanted to be treated like everybody else. And uh, I'm just seeing that kind of dynamic. And then also seeing that competitive edge by by Hanky. I mean, there'd be times I remember in, in my couple of years there in, in New York where we'd win a game, say it was 4-1, but Hank would let in a goal or a goal would be scored on him, I would say, in the last you know five minutes of the game. And you know, Hanky's in the bathroom kind of, you know, yelling and, and guys would be like, I remember Danny Girardi would be like, would you relax? You know, like kind of, you got to kind of bring him, you know, you got to bring him back down. And I think, you know, Beak probably has a bunch of stories on that where it was good to kind of, you know, that competitive edge was awesome. But then you also needed the certain players to be like, would you relax? We won. You were awesome. Like, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm sorry you didn't get your shutout, but the, the, I want my goalie to want shutouts. I yeah. want my goalie to want to be perfect. Like, these are all great things. So I think it was just that, that uh, uh, I remember hearing them smashing paper towel dispensers in bathrooms. Like, I thought that was part of the allure of Henrik Lundqvist. He had a bill once sent to him from the Excel Energy Center for $3,500. I don't know if you remember the game Gabrick had. I think Gabrick had five on him. And they lost 5-2 or 5-3. I forget. I was the year before I got there anyways. And he tore down the entire stall in the locker room. <laughs> oh, my God. I love so it. I seen him go on some 
I seen him go on some hissy fits. That that one I never saw, and I I kind of wish I did. But that was his mentality. Remember him banging the wall ripper in the shower? He'd just bang it. He'd yeah. just be in there. Just a men. Uh, that's just menacing behavior. But again, you just want that from your goalie. No, I mean. <laughs> I've always, you know, and, and I had a, I had a coach, I'll, I'll have him um, remain unnamed, uh, but he would uh, call out like our best player in the locker room. And, and uh, he was like, all he does is, uh, you know, you know, player X, like all you do is think about scoring goals. I'm like, I want him to be dreaming about scoring. That's his job. You know what I mean? We'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Like he needs to score goals. And same thing. Hank wanted no goals to go past him. And, and I remember my first game, uh, first game day, in New York, I was in the locker room and I remember uh, walking in and I don't know how it came up, but it came up in conversation in the training room and Jim Ramsey, the, the, the athletic trainer was like, Oh, don't Henrik doesn't exist on game days. I'm like, what do you mean? Cause you know, every goalie's different. Right. And don't even speak to him. So it eventually got to the point where I was still new to this, but if I walked into a room and there was, you know, four people in the room, I'd walk in, I'm like, I'm like, B, what's up, buddy? You know, or Danny Girardi, like, G, how you doing? And then Hank would be there. I would act like he's not even existing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think Hank wanted it that way. Like, he wouldn't make eye contact. He wouldn't talk. And uh, that was a, a little eye-opener for me, how how dialed in he would get on game days. What what was the, I don't know if there's a biggest difference, but you got to play, and you mentioned it, you got to play with Berdor and Hank. And I got to see Marty a little bit. He was done playing when I was in Jersey. But I always got the impression that they couldn't be more different in terms of their personalities. Now, is that a fair assessment? What was the what did you see as key differences on two elite Hall of Fame goalies? Well, I mean, during during games and uh, totally different. I mean, uh, I remember not knowing how Marty was early on and I played center at the beginning of my career. And I needed to know, especially with a goalie like him that played the puck so much, I had needed to be on the same page so we didn't have any mishaps. And then the, the puck up, up, uh, end up in the back of the net. So, but, you know, he was, Marty was one of those guys where before game, Marty always walks, he's got the shoulders back, you know, he just has that posture to him. He's got his coffee, just very confident. But then in between periods, you can ask him a question. He'll bring you up to the dry erase board, draw something out there and just talk to you. You could totally say anything you want to him in a lot of different ways. Um, I kind of stated how Hank was, the, was different, you know, and Marty was very focused. He was, he, he was, you know, uh, great. And Hank was in a different way. And then we, you know, then you got Mark Andre Fleury. On the other hand, there's games where I would sit there and, you know, what flowers a few, a few wins away from passing Patrick Waugh for number two all time. Like this, uh, there'd be games where we've got, 10 minutes till warm up, 12 minutes till warm up and flowers in the, uh, the weight room, uh, with the trainer, the trainer's got the the gloves up and, and flowers boxing and laughing. And then <laughs> he goes to run the locker room. He does like three cartwheels. Like, no, the, the guy's nuts. Like he's just so happy, go lucky smiling. And I'm like, Oh, you know, flower must not be playing. Then you get out there and, and warmups and he's, you know, get out there for uh, warmups. He's taking, you know, the starters shots. So I'm like, Dude, how is this? You know what I mean? All three guys have a completely different approach, but they were all great and uh, they were super competitive and they battled. That's the one thing I'll say they had in common completely. They all battled, battled on shots. You know what I mean? Like you, the next guy would be coming down the line and he might be finishing up with with boilers 
uh, Hanky might be finishing the third or fourth rebound on, on Boiler, and I can't shoot the puck because the goalie's not ready yet. But I love that. I don't want a goalie just going to take his angle, take take the shot, and then, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, play it like a game. Be competitive. Make me better. Speaking of being better, Alexi Lafreniere, he's a lot better this season. And seven goals, four assists, 11 points. He didn't get his seventh goal last year until February 6th. So, uh, Again, we're we're talking about the change that's happened from last year to this year, obviously having Peter Laviolette in there, new system and everything. But it seems has it's it's really translated well for Alexi Lafreniere. And you, you gotta also bring up uh his heroics against the Blue Jackets last week. The game tying goal, eleven seconds left, and then to win it in overtime or not overtime, in the skills competition, the shootout, you know, uh, with one of the nastiest oh my goals. God. Just pure perfection it was and and leave it to laviolette to have him come up third in that spot he's looked great rupper what have you seen from alexi this year that that's kind of changed it for him so the one thing that i've thought with um with him and and uh cock over the last number of years are that they almost have it in reverse order like first overall picks come in and usually we've talked about this before. I've talked about you guys. I know you guys talked about this to nauseum. When you come to a bad team as a first overall pick or second overall pick, you're just fed reps on top units, top power plays, like just go, 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 go. And eventually you, you learn how to adjust your offensive game. That wasn't the case with these guys. And, and Laugh had to take a depth role on this team. And you eventually need to get to a point where the star or the top guys there's a lot of number one overall picks in this league that are fantastic, great, incredible, but they don't really know how to do anything else but score points, which is great. Go about my thing before that that's their main job, but they're not complete hockey players in a lot of ways. I think the way that this went for laugh, he has learned a bunch of the intangibles. Now it's getting back to what he has always known is offense and feeling confident. And that move in that shootout was exuding confidence. Like that was screaming confidence. And don't tell me for the people out there like, oh, well, he's playing with bread. Bread wasn't on the ice there. He didn't feed him the puck right there. That was mano y mano when he came in there. And I don't know what you think, Brian, but that was that scream. The body language to me screamed, I'm feeling it. And I love the call that Lavi put him in that spot. I, I love his game. And I love all the intangibles that he's brought or is bringing that he's learned over the last few years. So this hasn't been all of a sudden now, uh, you know, we're seeing the offensive side now, but shouldn't we have thought this is coming at some point? And uh, I just think he's going to be a very complete, great all around player when this is all said and done. I think he's got the edge. He has the edge. He can, when he plays with that edge, he learned that playing third, fourth line minutes here. Here's how I can make an impact. But his expectations of himself and what the city probably put on him, it can, if it's not going right, and especially for a long time, even when you get that chance, it feels like you're playing in a straitjacket. When you don't have that confidence, it's really hard. And it's a fleeting thing. Uh, it's hard It's hard to get, and it goes away quick. He, he just showed his skill, what he's made of in terms of what he can do when that straitjacket's taken off. He can do some special things, and that's that's not an easy goal to execute. A lot can go wrong with that. He was hit some house money by tying the goal, uh, tying the game late with his second goal. Why not try it? But he needs to find that balance where he can try things like that because he has a skill set to do it. But then keep that little bit of edge he showed. I mean, he showed that when I played against him two years ago in the playoffs. I was like, "What is this kid barking at?" But it was a problem. Like if he adds that too, he's a number one over, overall pick, but he's going to be gritty also. But he has those hands. 
you know, he's not a burner, but he's skating better this year too, I think. And it's, it's starting to come together, which is really encouraging to see. When you're, when you're at the garden or when I've been there and when he goes to finish a check and he, even if he misses the check and hits the wall, it sounds different. He's a, he plays heavy, right? Like he, he is, he'll go through you. And again, we know that all the skill that he has because he is first overall, I didn't know he had all those other things. So when you combine all that, when this is a finished project, it's going to be, I think it's going to be very good. Um, and the other point that you made there be was awesome because he is not generally in that top three for the shootout. Okay. So Labby saw things in his game that thought he'd be ready at the moment. So it's just put us all in that position. You want to be a skilled guy. You'd want to be in that position, right? You get that chance in that position. How many of us are thinking of being a little more conservative? Hey, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're not letting it all hang out. I think a lot of us aren't, you know what I mean? Like we're going to go in there. We're going to try something. We're going to try to score a goal. I mean, that's the, that's the name of the game right there. But for him to pull off that move was like, I got this and I ain't turning back. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that gives me uh, goosebumps thinking about it because I don't think every player is dialed in that way. I think it would be very easy for him to come down and take a shot, maybe try to make a five hole move, but he comes down there, puts it from forehand, carries it on the back, not carries it. He touches his backhand, bang upstairs. And that's, that's at the top of the net. Like that's a perfect shot. Like I'll show you, I'll show everybody. I'll show you. 100%. I think that the only way to describe that game was just a punctuating performance on a really strong start to the season. And I actually was talking to Mika Zibanejad after that game. And first of all, he is so well-liked in that room by all of his teammates. He is a favorite guy in that room. It is so evident when you talk to everybody just about him, especially during the last couple of seasons where he has faced so much scrutiny. And I said to Mika, for you as a teammate to just sit back and after watching this kid go through everything that he's gone through, all the pressure that he's had to shoulder since he's come into this league, what is it like for you to see him have this start to the season and his whole face just lit up? I mean, they are so over the moon for him. And, you know, he mentioned all the pressure and, and for him to just he's just playing now. And he's also playing in a, with intangibles and the assets that he was drafted first overall for. So it's kind of like, it's just such a pleasure for them to see it kind of come to fruition here a little bit here for him. And obviously it's still early. And, you know, if you listen to any interview with Alexi Lafreniere, he does not deign to acknowledge any sort of, you know, success that he's had, because why would he after how much pressure and just how much, he's been criticized since he's come into this league. So you just got to hope that it it stays the course here for him. It's humbling. It's humbling. Right. And uh, it shows what kind of character he has. I, I love that. If there's one thing that New Yorkers and Ranger fans love, it's an underdog story. And not that he's a first overall pick, but you, you have been rooting for him. So we're going to let Molly run because she's got to go to practice. But before we let Rupper get out of here, when I knew that we were having you on, Mike, one of the things that came to mind, especially that we now have Brian Boyle co-hosting the show, is the 2012 epic classic triple overtime game. Game three, Eastern Conference semifinals against the Caps. You know, it, it's epic because, you know, the, the series was tied at, at, at one apiece. And, you know, obviously you guys want to win the game. But the fact that it went to triple overtime and it did end. Marion Gabrick did end the game and you guys won. But it would have ended a little bit earlier had someone not blocked a shot 
And he's on this podcast here. So I remember the iconic video of you sitting on the bench afterwards and just being so like, what was going through your mind that entire play? You almost had the game winner. What, what can you tell me from it? Well, I think that just like a lot of different things, when you, uh, when you reminisce about things, sometimes the stories get a little more legs, I think to it. And uh, with the way I I, Charlie Conway diving in front of it, like I didn't want (laughs) the way the way that I envisioned it. Now that I see the the footage, because we when when B was on NHL Network, they found it, and I didn't actually ever see it, so it was always just in my my brain, right? Like this is this is how I saw it, and the way I saw it was Braden Holpe was on one side of the net, Marion Gabrick goes behind the net for a wrap around on his backhand, and for whatever reason, I was on the side where Gabby came from, and I just thought like. I'm going to stay here, like just get out of the the fray a little bit. And he does, does the wraparound. The puck comes to me. And I remember Hopi was so far out of the net or not out of the net. He was so far over on that far post because he was he was honoring Gabrick's attempt at a, a wraparound. And the puck came to me. It was rolling. And I remember thinking, I still remember this. I'm like, I have all the time in the world. I just have to hit the top part of the net. So I like grabbed it for a second, settled it down. And I fired it and I, in my, in my mind, in my memory, I was like, I wired this thing right inside the elbow. I didn't, it was right in the middle of the net. (laughs) (laughs) So boiler was in front and I think he just was tied up and he tried, I mean, he probably didn't even see me shooting the puck. I think your back was to me. Right. And then you get turned around. I think it hits you right, right in the, the butt or in the upper thigh or whatever it was in mass. You know, yeah, and you're you're sitting there. I'm like, we go to the bench. I'm like, oh my god, that would have been, like that that was it. That was it. Like we could have ended it right there. And I remember coming to the bench, and I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't pissed at, at Boiler. No, no. Me, I'm like, but I came to the bench. I'm just like, you're just frustrated in that moment. I remember I was like, oh, and I think uh, I think I gave like a little stick, you know, bang to the ground, and Boiler was next to me, and you could see him. Uh, he just exasperated. Uh, you know, F bomb that he lets out. And he's just like, <laughs> I remember this though. He turns me because we're both gasping for air. And he turns to me, he goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, we're good. And then we both gave each other like a little high five. And, and that was it. So thankfully uh, we ended up getting that win, but we gave him a hard time about it. But I, when I see the replay, I'm like, that's not how I remember it. Someone doctored up this video. I just remember going to the net and staying there. And I had the sense that you had the puck, Rupper. I knew you had it. And I was like, oh no. So I tried to stay as still as I could, but my leg, I was in a battle and I was falling on Holtby and I'm like, I can't hit him yet. So my, my back leg kind of teetered up right into your, and you right felt into your shot. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So then I'm looking <laughs> for it. And then it's like, I think we had to back check or something. I don't even know if he covered yeah. it right there. And I was well, like, well, oh. I would have to say to be, to be honest with you, that was to read the situation. And the fact that I was out there with Marion Gabrick shows that it was at the end of my shift. So I must've been out there for a while. You know same, what I mean? Same. So I was, yeah, I was probably out there a while and I'm like, probably stayed out there. Cause I'm like, I never get out here with Gabby. I want to do something here offensively. So uh, you know, I was probably absolutely gassed. By the time we came to the bench, we couldn't even breathe. Your poor, your poor stick to the blade. Cause there's a, there's a clip you just snapping. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, Rupper's mad yeah. at me. Hey, um, and because won. I could relate, like we, you didn't get a lot of shifts down there. It, it's not easy to create. So we had the chance to be heroes and I wanted to celebrate in a pile and jump on the big Rupper. And we just had to wait another hour. It seemed like, but Hey, so remember Bic, remember Bixie, <laughs> Stu Bickle that game. 
triple overtime game. I think we won with like four minutes left, right? So it was almost two full games. I think Bix was under three minutes of ice. Oh, no. Was he? Yeah. So he got, He was yeah. three minutes and 24 seconds. Okay. So he, there you go. And I remember Torres would come down, I guess, in the second. He'd like pat him on the back. I'm trying to get you in. I'm trying to get you in. And then in the third, he's like, ah, I think it's been too long, Stu. And he's like, yeah, I think so too, coach. And then, <laughs> and then the first overtime happened. He's like, all right, just you know, hang in there. I don't know if we'll need you. Hopefully not. And and then the second OT came back and Stu was finally like, Hey man, you don't have to keep coming back. <laughs> Tell me to stay yeah, here. I got but it. Torch was thinking of him. I've been, I've been sitting here for four hours. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to, Best seat no, no hero coming for me, but I, I also remember in that game too, cause we've all, we've both been in, in other, I don't know if you've been in a longer one. That was the longest one I think I've been in, but it's yeah, funny when you, was it. what's funny in the playoffs, when you start overtime, you get the trainers coming in. They got the cart, all the, you know, replenishment drinks, the electrolytes, all of the fancy dancy things are all on this thing. Get this in you. Get this in you. This is important. This is important. Second overtime, you come in, running low on the drinks. So, you know, ran out of the cart and there's a few more left here. I don't know. Um, we've got some, we got some granola bar or some uh, protein bars. You guys want to eat something? You start kind of nibbling at that. And then by the, t- the, the further this goes, we're sending up stick boys to get us soft pretzels. We're wolfing down <laughs> coffee, which is like not a great thing. I'm no. eating like I, I remember there's been times in overtime where I've sent guys I've I've eaten hot dogs. You know what I mean? Like you just you, you when you're on the road, you have a trunk full of stuff. And when that trunk is gone, you got no, you got no options, right? So then it's just like just straight shit, anything you can put it in your body for energy. Let's go. Give me the pizza. Get yeah, me the pizza. pizza. We're drinking. We're drinking Coke and Coke and pizza. pizza. It's awesome. It's like you're yeah. a little kid playing in your your tournament in Detroit on the weekend. Well, the, the trainers are like our dads. They're like you got to eat this right now. I'm like, okay, dad. Do you, <laughs> do you remember though? Do you remember though? This is the other part that's, that stuck out to me. I remember this, and I love to get Mac Truck on to talk about it because again, I don't think this story got legs. He played it. I think hour. the other story. I think the other story got legs because I could have yeah. been. A, uh, we could have been the, the heroes of that game, but this one. <laughs> I remember Ryan McDonough was 56 minutes or something, I think, in that game. 53-17. Yep. 53-17. Was he really? Who? I thought someone was pushing 59. He he had the most. Behind he him. was only 53. Behind him was, was uh, Girardi with 44, MDZ 43, Cali 41. I think 41. I was 30. I think I got 30 in that game. You, Boiler? Yeah, you were 31-05. That's too many, too many minutes. <laughs> well, for uh, I was I I played what the normal average would be in one game. Fifteen forty five, a very respectable fifteen forty five. Fifteen. Yeah. Hey, let's go. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, the um I remember this with with Mac though. I remember him on the bench because again, like I didn't play. I wasn't in the normal rotation of 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 lines, right? So I would be in the middle of the bench, and then that's right where the D would meet up with the forwards. And I remember him dry heaving nonstop like almost after every shift he's dry heaving and then we get in the locker room I remember him cramping really bad and I remember him on the floor and I saw him and I don't mean this in a way like you know I think a lot of times when you he was crying but not like what a baby he's crying like I think his body was doing things that he he couldn't control you know what I mean? Like he's oh man he's like about he is cramping up he's he's dry heaving He's got his emotions. He's yelling. He's, he's got tears coming down his face. Like, I'm like, I'm sitting here like, what the hell's going on? Like, trainer, like, in whatever, in the locker room. I remember this. And I'm like, from that day forward, I'm like, this guy's, 
this guy's different, man. Yeah. Like he's he's different. We had some different ones. You knew Danny Girardi, Ryan Callahan. I mean, the way you block shots, B. I mean, we had a special brew of players there, but uh, that was one for me. I never seen. And we call, listen, we call him Mac Truck for the obvious. Like he's McDonough, but he he was he's built like a Mac Truck, and mm-hmm. his body was shutting down with those fifty three plus minutes. I just remembered watching them, and you know you'd see Callie block all these shots and play this certain way. But when the puck's coming from farther away, it picks up velocity. These him and Stalzy and G even Strals, like they got in front of everything willingly. And Danny G's body was so black and blue. He bruised like a peach and it was all over. So did Strawman. But I couldn't believe looking at these guys at the end of a season. How many hematomas did uh, we used to call Danny G hematoma? We just called him hematoma for like a couple months because he just got like three or four of them. And one hadn't even healed yet. And he had one on the other side of his body. He was they, those guys. And we, I think we have, have been recognized that team. And Larry did a good job of calling us the black and blue shirts, but we, that's what we did. That was our, we would do anything to, it just kind of fell. It started with those guys. It, we all fell in line with it because it, it was a, uh, it was a cool team to play for. It hurt, but it was like a, it's a point of pride now after it's all done, just to be a part of that group. Those guys were not, Mack truck was out of his mind. When, when, uh, what year did, did Cali end up going to Tampa? What year was that? Uh, 13, 14 year. That's the year we went to the cup with the Rangers. Okay. So that was my, yeah, that was my. Did you go to mini that year? Uh, I think I went the year before. So that yeah. was my last year. 13, 14 was my last year playing. And I remember, so you're saying that summer he went? No, he went right around the deadline. We got Mario right around for, the deadline. Okay. Yeah. I remember having a conversation. I don't know if I should be saying this because I was playing on a team already. But I had a conversation with, uh, I was talking with uh, somebody in Edmonton. And they were at this pivotal spot. And I think Callie was, was Callie B. Someone was coming up with Callie in a contract. I don't know. I, I might be wrong. They offered him a deal with no trade protection. So he got traded because he was a pending UFA, correct? And he said, I'm not taking that deal. Got and it. And okay. dealt. So I AG remember- had just signed. I remember thinking to myself and I was talking to a player and and someone else in Edmonton there at the time. And they were talking about, I mean, this was the Edmonton, like we stink. How are we going to get this going? We have all these first overall picks and none of them are, you know, whatever's not working here. And I was like, you guys want to change your franchise? Go get Ryan Callahan and pay him whatever he wants. They're like, well, you know, and and I think the original thing is like, well, I mean, you look at numbers and this, you don't understand if Ryan Callahan, if it's going to take, paying him $5 million, $6 million a year to play at Edmonton, pay him that. He will change your franchise because he will come in there and I'm, he might not he might not have the production anymore that he once had, but he's going to go in there and you're going to see a five foot 10 player from freaking, was he Rochester, New York? He's going to put every excuse out the window for everyone else on your roster not to play hard. Cause he's going to bring it and he's going to bring it and he's going to be, he's going to be iced up and he's going to be hobbling and he's going to bring it some more and your franchise will be different. And I, I was like really big on like, I'm like, I'm telling you. And, and there was uh, I think the Minnesota wild at that time. Cause that's why I was there. I was telling people in Minnesota too. I'm like, get Ryan Callahan, get pay him, whatever. He will change the way your franchise thinks. I'm not saying you're going to win a cup right away with this guy, but 
you know, you could start getting a different mentality. So nothing but love for all that, that the guys we had on that team, man. Those were, that, that was a special team. It was a special squad. You guys wound up winning that in an epic seven games, which again, every Ranger fan watching that had you guys back. So Rupper, we're going to let you get out of here. We appreciate it as always. Be sure to catch him on the NHL network along with Boiler. They'll both be there together and uh, he'll be providing all the great hockey insight that you just heard right here on the podcast. So, Rupper, we appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk later. See you, Rupper. But growing up, I always had big dreams. My dad told me, my brother, my sister at an early age, dream big. I said it will inspire you to work hard and I'll never forget that. And that'll put a bow on episode 132 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. But as always, before we get out of here, we got to give out some stars. Boiler, who's your number one star of the week? I got to go with Laugh. Scratching the surface now. The straitjacket is off. He is ready to explode. Now, listen, do I think he's going to go and score 50 this year? I don't, I don't, but I love, I love what he did against Columbus. Uh, hopefully he plays with that edge. He keeps that edge. It looks like he's starting to find his way. He's finding the timing. It's uh, it's a great sign for the franchise. What you need to see out of Laffy Taffy. My second star is going to go to Artemi Panarin. Keeping the point streak alive. He's got a point in each of his first Ranger games. 14 on the year. Tied Roger Gilbert's record. 1972-73 mark of, of 14 games. So we'll see if he's able to keep that streak alive and uh, set a new mark this Saturday against the Devils. Eight goals, 16 assists, 24 points. Yeah, not bad. Just heart trophy. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. And third star, since Molly's out of here, I'm going to give the honorary to Henrik Lundqvist. Again, Hall of Famer. You got to give the king his props. As always, going to give thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. You can catch up on all episodes of the podcast by subscribing to Up in the Blue Seats on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching this right now, it's probably on the New York Post YouTube page, so we appreciate it if you'd give us a thumbs up, comment, like, do whatever you got to do. What are your thoughts on Hank making the Hall of Fame and his speech and everything? Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter, Rex, uh, at Molly Walker, 2E's, two 2R's, two and Brian at Brybrows22. For Brian Boyle, Larry Brooks, Molly Walker, and Rupper, I'm Andrew Hartz. We're back next week. Be sure to tune in then. Take it easy. LGR. Later.